Hi everyone, welcome to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding the light after perinatal trauma. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, birth trauma survivor turned podcast host. Today we are joined by Ryan Hansen. Ryan is a dad, husband, widow, turned maternal health advocate. After a seemingly healthy pregnancy, his first wife, Tara, died just days after the birth of their first son. Ryan was determined to keep Tara's teaching legacy alive and created the Tara Hansen Foundation. Along the way, he has remarried, welcoming two more boys to his family, all the while having this tragedy largely shape those birthing experiences. Tune in to hear how Ryan continues to keep Tara's legacy alive. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on this podcast. I feel incredibly honored to share your story. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and it is great to be here. Oh, thanks. Okay, let's start with an introduction about yourself and your family. Okay. So my name is Ryan Hansen. I am 41 years old. I am from New Jersey. I am currently married to my wife, Mary. We have three children together, Brandon, 11, who will be 12, actually, this upcoming Saturday. Dylan, who is seven, and Liam, who is six. And we have a very busy house, as you could imagine, with three boys that age. Mary and I both work from home. I enjoy coaching the boys, and Mary is very much involved as class mom with them. Really fortunate. Oh, that's wonderful. Let's jump into the reason you're here today and sharing your story. What was Brandon's birth story? Let's see. So in 2010, Tara and I were starting to think about creating a family, building a family. Mm -hmm. And we basically got married in 2008, moved into our house a year later. So we were finally settled and, and ready to begin that journey. In the early spring of 2010, I guess it was, Tara found out that she had polycystic ovary disorder. From there, we were told that it might be difficult to conceive. We may need some help going forward, things of that nature. So once we had all that figured out in the late spring and came to grips with knowing things might be a little bit difficult, et cetera, we actually, she ended up being pregnant very shortly after. So that summer she found out and thankfully she had a great pregnancy, healthy throughout she exercised throughout her entire pregnancy. She ate well, really embraced everything. And that was really fortunate looking back on everything. And Brandon was delivered, healthy baby boy. He was big. Fortunately, the whole pregnancy and everything leading up to delivery went really well. And then... Did you guys get discharged from the hospital and then have to return? What happened next? Yeah. So for us after delivery, and you know, when I think about it, it's really short period of time after delivery, as we're moved out of uh, labor and delivering into our room, Mm -hmm. um, Tara started to not feel well. She experienced some fainting And just like an overall um, exhaustion, just feeling Mm -hmm. of of being, you know, really 
it just really took everything out of her. And I remember, you know, we first started talking about it, saying, I get it. I, just everything that I just went through, because you know, we'd gone to all the classes, had a, a decent idea of what to expect. And she's mm-hmm. thinking that this isn't how I should feel. Um, I should not feel completely wiped out. I should, I shouldn't be having these fainting issues. So these things all kind of start very soon after delivery. And as we go through the process there, we really start to realize, all right, something's not right here. Um, mm-hmm. There's this first time mother who has a lot of questions, hasn't done this before. And the response we keep getting is you just have a baby. You just had a baby. You just delivered a baby. Everything's okay. You just delivered. Uh, you're going to be fine. And we realized more and more that we didn't know how she should feel. So we have this great idea on what to do with, with our son, how to take care of him, what the next steps are, how that's all going to work out. But more and more, we don't know how Tara should really be feeling. So that's a concern. And as I said, we're met consistently, consistently with that message. You just had a baby and we're not really getting any extra care. We're not really pushing that needle for someone to say, all right, maybe something is wrong here. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we are discharged and we head home, begin to get settled. And basically over a 36 hour period, we're home, figuring everything out, doing all the things we imagined we would do. And her condition slowly deteriorates to the point where she realizes I have to call the doctor. I have to go back and see someone. Something isn't right. And what we ended up learning is during that period, she developed an infection and wasn't cared for. So now, you know, it's been left to sit during three, four days. Mm -hmm. We returned to the hospital and were met in the ER she was not in great shape at that point. So uh, that's when we end up back there and going through the process of them trying to figure out what's happened and, and where to head from there. And did she develop necrotizing fasciitis? Yes. By the time everything played out, that was the official determination. So over the course of it was six days after our son was delivered, that she ended up passing away from that. Wow. During the birth, she had suffered a third degree tear. I think there's things looking back on it that could have been identified or could have been done maybe proactively, especially listening to her and just taking the time to say, okay, here's this new mom who's asking for some extra help here. What can we do just to take a moment and to to hear her out, hear her concerns and whatnot, I think really would have made a big difference. But yeah, that, that time period where we were told everything's fine, you're fine. Don't worry about it is really detrimental to this whole thing. Sounds like it. I feel like I just need to take a moment. That's a lot to take in. No, absolutely. I I completely understand. Having a near-death experience myself, and obviously my outcome was better than Tara's, but it just it's just mind-boggling how in the 21st century these things are happening. 
Yeah. And for me, that was the biggest thing is it never crossed my mind. Something could happen to her, right? We did all the books and the classes and we're so focused on the delivery of our son, which we didn't find out prior to, you know, we found out when she delivered him, but we knew, okay, this is going to be the road for him. And there's just, there was no roadmap for her. And it's just something that stuck with me throughout this whole process that in a lot of other medical situations, there's a plan, an explanation, what to expect. And here's mom who's gone through a major medical event and it's not really there for them. So that's something that has really stuck with me and we've tried to to make some progress in fixing. What do you feel like has been like the biggest thing that you've learned after coming out of Tara's death? I think it's the fact that we didn't know this was a, was an issue and uncovering that and realizing the amount of women we lose each year, the amount of near misses that happen each year is just so much higher than you could imagine. And like you said, in the 21st century, in the United States, where we have an abundance of resources, cutting edge technology, et cetera, that this is still happening. Yeah. That this is still an issue. Not having any idea, and you don't really know how much you need to advocate for yourself because this is a highlight of your adult life and it's everything you look forward to. And to not know that this is a possibility really felt like a letdown at some point of our whole journey. And I'm so sorry that this is your story and this is Tara's story and your son, his story as well. It just, it's just mind boggling the statistics that are coming out as they're doing more research. I recently shared with a friend that it's more dangerous now than it was for our parents to deliver their babies. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy that we're taking steps back and whatever the reason is, whether that's racism, denial and delay of treatment. Mm-hmm. To me, the reason per se isn't the catalyst, so to speak. It just needs to be fixed, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Where do you where do you stand on that that notion? Looking back, the more that I thought about it after everything happened, especially having two children afterwards, when we were in the hospital, I think there were 13 or 14 babies in the nursery. It was buzzing and it was busy and there were people everywhere. And I felt, especially with the answer we received time after time, you just had a baby. I felt like it became routine to have people come in, have people deliver and send them home. So at some point, maybe we lost the compassion and the bedside manner and where we actually really were taking care of the moms and not just moving through the process that the process had taken over and taken away some of the care aspect. And I feel like losing that part is where we 
went through the cycle and we're in, we were out and off you go. Hmm. That's really disappointing because as I said before, here's a woman and women in general who go through a really major event and just aren't necessarily given the tools or the care that they need following it. The individual care. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's just mind. I feel like I can't say it enough. It's just mind blowing that's happening in our 21st century and that as a developed country, we have some of the highest statistics, if not the highest, of maternal mortality rates. And in my situation, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to hear my episode. It was an amniotic fluid embolism that is this condition. They don't know why it happens. I've gotten to even speak with some of my medical team. It's this situation that everything's fine until it's not. not. And like when it's not, it's almost 90% catastrophic Mm -hmm. in that first hour. Like it just is like zero Mm -hmm. to 60, so to speak. But it sounds like in Tara's case, it was very much the opposite of she had this tear, she delivered naturally, had a complication, but something that I personally don't know how common tears are. I I agree. For her and her situation, it's, it's a bit more slow developing for sure. And she has the ability to identify the fact that something's gone wrong. I always tell people it's like flu-like symptoms for her. So all of a sudden, this overwhelming feeling of malaise has set in. She's uncomfortable. As I said earlier, she's she had some issues with fainting when she's just trying to get out of bed. And and it's the communication aspect that that really bugs me because had we been able to just send those red flags up and, and get people to say, you know what, we, we have to, we got to do something else. We have to sit down here and, and see what's going on. There's probably time for her outcome to be different. And to me, that's a simple thing. Just listening to women, hearing women and, and hearing what they have to say. So that, that definitely lingers for me, for sure. And how have you grappled with that notion of she was repeatedly dismissed in in going through this process i went through therapy which i'm such an advocate for i had found a great therapist who i loved still love really helped me work through the process i understand that no one was out to harm her but it was part of the system failed her in a sense but going through that and going through that process, I realized the the best thing I could do was find ways to tell her story. I've done that in forming a foundation in her name. And I've been fortunate enough like today to speak with people who will hear what she went through and hopefully take what I've gotten from it and what I saw and able to affect change in the maternal world and the way that we care for for women, because it's something that I feel can have a a great impact on 
how we deliver care uh, and how we are able to communicate with our physician team and really help save lives. So that's that's been cathartic for me really is, is to work in that field and do that and try to do my part to just get the word out there because I feel like maternal health care and maternal health awareness um, really was not well known prior to my experience with it. That's for sure. Sounds like it. And you mentioned in your email that when your second wife, Mary, became pregnant with your two younger sons, how did you approach that? Because I imagine learning your wife is pregnant and having this massive trauma from the first delivery, how did you approach that second time differently? Yeah. So that was definitely took a lot. I always say that Mary's the only woman who could convince me to do that again. The way that, that we bonded over loss, she's also a widow. She lost her first husband. So I think that our relationship and that bond really has propelled us to make sure that we continue to make lives for one one another and do the best that we can here. And the first, so Dylan was delivered in 2015. And so that pregnancy came on the heels of a white paper that we worked on with Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School called Stop, Look, Listen. And that was the the tool or the plan that that we came up with and developed with them to help women communicate their need for care. And basically we had done a mailing very, like just before we started seeing our doctors for this pregnancy. So they knew when we came in that the Hansons were here. (laughs) So that was like the first thing we talked about. And they had just gotten that in the mail and we went through it and each physician that we met in the practice throughout the whole procedure, we introduced ourselves and that was part of it. We've been through this. We've seen it firsthand. What are we going to do to be able to prevent it? What can we put in place to make sure that Mary has everything she needs to, to have a successful outcome? And that was really a big part of it. And they were wonderful in how they cared for her, how they even cared for me as well. And made sure they took extra time to speak with me when I had any extra questions. So that was really important. It was very different from the first time. I think that really gave me the confidence to one, say, okay, we're making a difference in in some of the work we're doing. And two, we had Liam in 2017. And before we went in and had, and he was delivered, the nurse manager at the hospital said, oh, I just saw you speak actually at a New Jersey Hospital Association meeting. And so that was really reassuring too. I said, okay, so she has a great idea on on what we've been through and and whatnot. Like I said, in the state of New Jersey, we've been able to get that message out and it was different. I saw a difference in how she was interacted with, how we as a whole were interacted with and became part of the care team. I always talk about as well that the, the patient and the family need to be as involved as the physicians. There really needs to be one whole group there. And and we had that experience. So I'm very thankful for that. That's amazing. And I had my first in 2017 and had a a minimal complication with 
uh, uterus infection, but I remember leaving the hospital just, I really don't feel well. I had already gotten a blood transfusion because I was not fainting, but was really lightheaded upon standing, things like that. And I went home and then returned to the hospital. I think it was three days later. And it's just, again, crazy to think that these things are happening in 2017. And then even more recently, I have a good friend who had sepsis because of delayed care. And it's just, and I have people reaching out to me through Instagram too, who want to share their story because of a situation like Tara's and that they were delayed. They were given delayed care and it's so angering to me that it almost has to turn catastrophic for some, not all, because there are great medical providers out there, but for some medical providers to wake up and say, oh, this is actually a problem. Like we need to be addressing this. What would your message be to those people who are maybe not listening to their patients as well as they should be? Yeah. I think it, it comes back to the idea of what if this was you or your family member your daughter-in-law in this situation, yes, you would probably care for them differently. You would leave no stone unturned. And that's the attitude we have to have. And I don't know at some point if we got away from that again, like I said earlier, just due to the volume or the process or the healthcare system that's in place as a whole. But that's how I look at it. You have to think of it. What if this was my child? What would I do for them? And I get it. Maybe that's a little bit of a naive outlook, but that would ensure that somebody asks the follow-up question or takes a, two minutes to have the sit down with the mom that says, why am I experiencing this? Or why do I feel that way? We always hear too that there's so many of these that could be prevented. Maybe that's it there. Maybe it's just the lack of communication. Maybe it's as simple as that. I don't know. I hope to think that it's something that we could fix as easily as that. But yeah, we have to take a moment. We have to slow down a little bit and we have to give these women all the attention that they deserve. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think that's the key that you have to remember that this isn't just a job that you're getting a paycheck. Someone is entrusting you with the life of not only themselves, but their unborn child. And as a husband, you're entrusting that medical professional with the most important person in your life. And there should be an innate trust there. And sometimes, unfortunately, that trust is broken and that can be really challenging and hard. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And so let's talk about how you started the foundation. I actually got a mailer from the local community college in our town, and I was flipping through it, and it's about a year after Tara's passing, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing and where I'm headed, and they had a course for nonprofit management, and I start thinking to myself, maybe that's an avenue I can take here to help out, to try to create some change here in this space and start something in her name and 
figure it out from there. So I looked into that. I started taking the courses and really started coming up with some ideas that the storytelling is so important throughout so many aspects in our life. Mm. Just dawned on me. If I can tell this story, it's going to have an impact at least on one doctor or nurse to help someone, but to be that extra set of eyes, ears, and, and hands and whatnot to help someone. So get that started with the help of family. And the first time I did a, a presentation was at our uh, local hospital in Tara's hometown, and they were wonderful. And they let me say what I had to say and figure it out on the fly. And it just dawned on me if I could keep doing that and keep telling her birth story and, and pregnancy and what she went through, somebody was going to listen. And I've always made it so that I, I want to create allies and not adversaries. Mm -hmm. So I've always just wanted to be open and hope that physicians and nurses would listen to me and become a part of it together. So I think we've done a really good job of that. And we created our Stop, Look, Listen initiative, which really focuses on the communication end. And as we say, taking a moment to stop and to um, listen and look at every and all issue of concern with women. And then we moved on to creating Maternal Health Awareness Day, which was signed into law in New Jersey in 2017. And the idea behind that was that people of who are building families who are of childbearing age are on social media. So now this is a free medium that we can get this message out and reach just exponentially more people than anything else. And each year it seems to get a little bit bigger. I saw recently that it's recognized by 34 states. And wow. that to me is just like such a major success because it's just, it's a message that it's not easy to get out there. You don't want to scare people, but it's yes. a message that needs to be delivered. So we have to have that feeling of, I have to take care of myself. I have to protect myself and advocate for myself. So here are the tools and, and the messaging that goes out every January 23rd was a mix of supportive and advocacy. So that's really been the, the foundation of the foundation for a lack of a better way to put it. So. <laughs> and I remember we're now in 2023. So I remember it was two years ago. I called it an AFE tea. I was just having tea with some girlfriends to talk about my AFE and then went to post a picture on social media and saw that we actually held it on Maternal Health Awareness Day. And okay. my mind was just blown. Like I had never even heard of Maternal Health Awareness Day mm -hmm. prior to getting onto social media that day. So I thought it was just an amazing notion to the work that your foundation is doing and not only keeping Tara's memory alive, really making change in having different outcomes for parents because 
Obviously, that was just a small meeting of five or six friends, but one of my friends who attended it was pregnant at the time. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about how do we better maternal health and how do we, not only as parents, but as some of my friends at the time were in medical school, I, how do we better it on the other side too as medical providers and it's just such an important conversation to have and like you said we don't want to scare pregnant women Mm -hmm. we don't want to scare new dads that is not our goal here our goal here is to have the conversation so this happens less and less and less absolutely absolutely and i think I think too, it breaks my heart when people don't want to talk about it or don't want to hear about my birth story because I'm like, this is my life. This isn't some made up fairy tale, so to speak. It's what my lived experience. And earlier you mentioned that this was Tara's birth story, but this is your birth story too. This is your lived experience too. And vicariously, Brandon's as well. Mm -hmm. Like all of you, Brandon obviously doesn't have memories, but it's part of his life as well. And it just, I think there's too much of that's bad, that's traumatic, let's not talk about it, let's just sweep it under the rug. I obviously, I started a podcast, so I obviously highly disagree with that idea. But like I said, it's just, in my opinion, important to be having these conversations in a safe, respectful manner because we don't want to scare people. But our goal here is not to scare people. It's to lessen the mortality rate, lessen the near miss rate, lessen the birth trauma rate. Yeah, definitely. These conversations should empower and, and give us those tools to speak up when we need to, ask for help when we need to, be able to find the resources going into this that we need. It's really, it's about that. And it's not always easy, but it should, as you said, it should lead to more moms being there with their children more families being intact at the end of the day. And that's why Mm. we do it. And I'm thankful for you telling your story and and having this podcast, because it's just another way for someone who didn't know it to say, wow, I have to have this quick conversation with my doctor to make sure that they're aware that I know what's happening and, and what can I do to be a part of it and what can I do to help? So it is, it's truly important. Wow. I'm just so amazed by the work that you're doing and sharing your birth story and the trauma and turning that into a catalyst for change. That's just incredibly remarkable. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And I always like to say that Tara was a teacher and this is her way to keep teaching everyone and to keep educating people. So that's the underlying motivation that we have with this. So thank you so much. Thanks again, Ryan, for your time. Like I said, I feel incredibly honored to have met you and 
who knows, maybe our paths will cross in the future. Absolutely. I'm, and, and again, I'm so thankful and grateful um, that you reached out and that you thought of us. And thank you for what you're doing. It's so important. Thanks, Ryan. I hope you have a great day. All right. You too. Take care. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.